Here we go, rejecting the screen. Noah Koslov stuck out here on the East Coast, out west. Adam Stenko, Jazz, two plugged in dudes, talking hoops. A little bit of life as well on this Monday, recording for Tuesday. We'll have Seth Greenberg, the former ACC, two-time ACC coach of the year at Virginia Tech, longtime college hoops analyst, and he goes back with some stories about Michael Jordan, a lot of NBA guys, since we know this is an NBA audience. So it's a an NBA-centric podcast with Seth Greenberg that, will be out for your listening pleasure on Thursday. We'll continue to give you Tuesday, Thursday podcast here on Rejecting the Screen, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Adam is in San Francisco with his two teenage daughters. Yes. His son Hudson is three. Yes. His wife is three weeks away from giving birth to a baby girl. Yes. All the circus is officially in town. You said... uh recently on the podcast that the major divide in this country is not along political lines or sports lines or where you live in the country, but about those with kids and those without kids, the people I talk to with kids, Noah, it's, it's like their life is in shambles and it's like, Oh, just all the dishes and all the meal prep and, and the homeschooling and, and exercise, all these things you have to take care of. And then I talk to my friends without kids and they're like, man, I am bored out of my mind. <laughs> it's insane. The difference. Right. It's that, so, it's so easy to right. tell. And I, I tweeted this last week at the very beginning of this whole thing here in the U S and I, and I said, that is the biggest, that's the biggest divide on Twitter. You can so easily tell who's not a parent and who is a parent when you see, so what are we watching tonight? Or um, what yeah. shows, what shows can I, can I binge now? Like, I mean, you might be a parent, but maybe your kid is older, out of the house, or whatever it is. But I mean, if you've got a an elementary school kid, toddler, mm-hmm. and you've got you know two teenage girls and a toddler and one on the way, and I mean, we just have Eden; she's five, and she's a terrific kid. But there's still like I have a full backlog of podcasts to listen to, let alone like binging anything. Like binging, no, like yeah. I can watch a show at night. We just, Marissa and I just started The Americans last night on Amazon. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we can, we can watch fair. the show. At like night, you would normally have done. Exactly. Like what we normally, normally have done. done. Yeah. But your, but your five year old needs, all her needs must be met. And, yeah, and that's like today where, we did, where you're like there. this morning was all school. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's bananas. And, and so we need to talk about our lives and what's going on. I mean, everybody's, going through things differently. It's wild that we're still in such the infancy stage of, of our new reality here. But Noah, for you and I right now, this, this week has been about life and death. And I, I wanted to, to hit on some of that because for me, um, you mentioned it, my wife's 37 weeks pregnant. And as of right now, we've been told there will be no guests in labor and delivery at the hospital, which Makes sense. Everyone understands. Sucks for my girls who wanted to be there right after the birth and see their their mom and and see the baby girl. Um, you know, introduce Hudson. Of course, other family members. We, all those things would have been really nice. And now they're going to have to get delayed a few days, and that's going to be something that'll suck. But of all the things people are giving up, it is so low on the list. That's that's of really utmost importance. But they're also saying that it seems imminent that we are we're soon going to be not allowing spouses into labor and delivery. And that has my wife, Kate, terrified. And so now the decision we have is, when is that going to happen? 
And should we induce early? And that's the the thought now that maybe next week she has the baby because at least then, you know, the baby's now fully formed and healthy from from everything that the doctors say. But at least at this point, I can be there for the journey and help her out because being alone in a hospital room giving birth is is a terrifying thought anyway. And it's something we think about back in the olden days. But not only that, now to think about it during present day with the sickness in the hospital and the way the doctors are, are treating things uh, is just a is a scary thought for, for all involved. So uh, I want to make sure I'm there for her. So that's that's what we've got on our plate right now. So have you decided? I think we're going to do it. Yeah, I think we're going to do it. We haven't picked the date, but I it looks like that's what we're going to do. So we're sort of holding off this week and maybe it'll look like next week or the next two weeks. We'll just have to schedule it. Yeah, I mean, and I know it's happening in New York City and there's outrage, but at this point, everything's on the table and you can't yeah. be taking risks with anything. And, and you're right, it is. It's a matter of it's a matter of life and death. We got out of New York City back to the, the Philadelphia suburbs on Saturday and Enterprise Renter Car did a great thing. They lowered their rates, they like steep discounts for one way rentals. So if you're picking up in one place and dropping off in another, because they knew of how many people just wanted to get out of their current situation and get somewhere else. Mm. And there was also zero traffic. It usually takes like at best, like best case scenario, usually from New York City to, to where we go in the suburbs to Philadelphia, about hour 40, hour 45 at best. We were smooth down an hour 20 Saturday, got back. There was nobody on the roads. And it's, it's, it's bizarre to be an hour and 20 minutes away from New York City and feel like you are years away from New York City. The, like my blood pressure, and I'm a pretty calm guy, my blood pressure in New York City was, was through the roof because you're in an apartment building with 500 apartments and you just have to be worried about everything. And, and the, the building did a great job with sanitizer and paper towels. So every time you push an elevator button, you use a paper towel. But what happens when you're going out to take out the trash in the hallway? Then you got to come back in and wash your hands. You got to worry about who was oh. touching what in the elevator and who else was in your hallway. And so it was, it was, it was good. To get, it was good to get out. And my neighbor, Dorothy, and I think we, I think we may have talked about her. Maybe it was on our previous. We've talked podcast, about her a few times. About, yep. So she's, so she was 90 and she lived a few doors down and, and, and Marissa and I had, had taken care of her over the past few years and she didn't have much family and, and she really, she, she just did not have much of a quality of life anymore. And over the past few years, she had talked about just really just how much she wanted to die. And on the I mean, she honestly, she, I remember being out with her and some of her friends for her 90th birthday last year. And maybe since then, maybe she'd been out of the apartment outside maybe 10 times, maybe in the past year. And so we had, so we had, had a whole bunch of long conversations and, you know, go to the grocery store for, her, and she had a great nurse who'd come in the mornings. And I introduced her to a bunch of Trader Joe's products. Love that Trader Joe's applesauce. And <laughs> over the past, you know, few days before Saturday, Wednesday, Wednesday night, I was over there. And she was, and she was talking, uh, you know, she's just, I like, couldn't believe what was happening in the world and, and how she had lived a good life. And she'd hoped that 
you know, that as great of a life as she had lived, she hoped that Eden would have such a great life and, you know, mm. this, that the world needed to turn around. And she said, look, no, I have, I have what it takes to, to end this tonight. And um, so I love you and thank you. So I went over there Thursday morning. I tried to get over there mm. early before Martina did her, her morning nurse, who she was very close with. And I mean, she would get out of bed and, you know, she'd be around in the apartment walking the hallways, but I got over there and, and she was, she was alive. I mean, I went in there thinking that, I mean, I actually, I, I couldn't believe how like casually I went in there, like that there could be a, that she could be dead and, and she was alive. And, um, but I didn't go in Friday morning before Martina did. And then Martina knocked on my door, um, around nine 30 Friday morning. Um, and you know, I was, I was doing something with Eden and I said, Hey, mercy, you got to, I'm I got to go over the Dorothy's and, uh, yeah, I mean, and, and. I mean, I'm not going to talk about the details of the position we found her in dead, but she was dead. And and I, I'd never seen a fresh dead body as as morbid as that sounds. I mean, I'd seen open caskets before, but, uh, it was, it's, it's tough to talk about, but knowing that she desperately wanted it makes it, makes it a whole lot easier. Yeah. I, I was going to ask you, you you spoke to her the night before, so you said you yeah. you had walked in, anticipated that she would no longer be living, and there she is. And you guys had a deep conversation. What'd you learn from her? Maybe not even just that day, but over the last few years. Well, she so she was a a fashion executive in her thirties before there were women executives, and she was flying on a private plane with diane von furstenberg you know like way way back <laughs> she was at uh you know and she didn't she didn't have a whole lot of money um at this point in her life but her her um i remember her telling me stories about um she was had she had an affair with her boss she <laughs> she was telling me she would tell me stories about <laughs> having a there was uh there was a party on a roof in london for some fashion show and it was the Rolling Stones before they were the Rolling Stones. It was like this, like up and coming band. Amazing. Um, we sat on, we sat on her porch a few, maybe like three years ago for Fourth of July, just the two of us watching fireworks and uh, had some champagne. And I learned, uh, yeah, I learned a lot about her family, um, her her siblings, her parents like her i mean she when eden went to kindergarten she told me about her first day of kindergarten how she walked to school with her older sister and they'd cross a busy highway and they got to school and then dorothy said this is this isn't for me at five years old and walked back across the busy highway and went back to her house oh and, my. and i said so i said well what did you do after that she said i don't i don't remember like i don't i don't, I don't remember whether i actually went to kindergarten or not um <laughs> Yeah, it's you know through and she she loved tennis. So we talked a, we talked a lot about lot, we talked a lot about tennis. She hated when Mike Tirico called tennis matches. She thought she she thought he was awful, <laughs> awful calling tennis matches. And but she she watched everything tennis. So anytime Rafa Nadal or Roger Federer would pull out of a tournament, she was bummed. She did not like Novak Djokovic. Um, yeah, you know, she, but she was she was a trip. She was a trip. One story I'll tell you. So we had a, and then we'll move on to hoops. When we we had a babysitter who lived in our building who would come 
the first like maybe like the first two years Eden was born. So on Sundays, I was I was always working a lot on the weekends. So Marissa just needed some time. So May, this 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 girl would come, and this girl Maisie would come between like nine and twelve. And the first day she came, she the first yeah it was, yeah it was the very first day. The first day she showed up, she um she came, and Marissa had walked her back to the elevator. And Dorothy's apartment was was right near the elevator. And <laughs> Dorothy says to Marissa, "Is that your is that your sister?" Marissa says, no, no, I don't have a sister. Mrs. Maisie, she lives in a building. And Dorothy said, oh, she looks like your sister. Like, she looks like, a, you know, a heavier version of you. And Marissa, and Marissa looks at Dorothy. Like, you know, she kind of like shook her head and apologized to Maisie. And Maisie went, Maisie went home and, and Marissa walked back to Dorothy's apartment. She said, Dorothy, you know, you can't say that stuff. She's like, what? What? I... She looks like you. She's just, you know, she's a little heavier. Well, Dorothy, you can't say that <laughs> to people. You can't comment on people's appearances like that. Oh, God, you can't say anything anymore. <laughs> 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 and at that, at that time, she was, I guess, 80, yeah, 87 at that time. Well, listen, I know, I know you've been somewhat humble about it, but I, I certainly have, have uh, admired you from afar. I just want to say this one thing that that the way you took care of her in her last few years and uh, were looking after her, made sure she had everything she needed. It's pretty, pretty awesome. I think people should know the kind of person you are and that you were looking after. Her. And I, I know you felt like you were getting something out of it too, but I just think it says a lot about who you are, the way that you were uh, treating this woman. And I know she greatly appreciated it in her final, in her final years. I know we got more hoops to talk. Certainly want to get to the games that I would love to go back and see. And yours too. Noah, before we get on to the rest of the show, I want to tell our listeners about one of the ultimate life hacks. You see, even while everyone's at home right now, if you're like me and have your hands full with the family and researching Jason Kidd's career PER numbers, it's hard to find the time to sit down to read. When you don't have free time to yourself, you can't read or work on personal development. Well, there's an incredible app that solves this problem, and I highly recommend it. It's called Blinkist. Blinkist is unique. It works on your phone, your tablet, or your web browser. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. Blinkist makes it easy to finish a book, and while you probably don't have a commute right now and your kids might be impeding on your lunch break, you can always sneak in 15 minutes to listen while you exercise or just go out to walk the dogs. 12 million people are using Blinkist right now, and I was turned on to Blinkist by a friend of mine who's a successful sports TV host. He told me he wanted to learn about some new subjects that he knew he'd never devote the time to read an entire book on, and that's what hooked me. I've come to love Blinkist because in less than 15 minutes, I feel like I can start to gain expertise on a subject without having to actually read the book. Sure, I'd love to lay down on a beach somewhere and enjoy reading an entire book cover to cover, but with the three kids and obviously no beach plans in the near future, that just ain't happening. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want, and all for one low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our Rejecting the Screen audience. 
Go to Blinkist.com slash NBA, try it free for seven days, and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash NBA to start your free seven-day trial. And you'll also save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash NBA. So let's do that. So these days now it's all about, in, in the NBA, it's all about hardwood classics. I have one major issue with hardwood classics, and I've had this issue for a long time. I even talked to the folks at the NBA about it. Why mm. on the, so it started with the guide and then on the, and then on the screen on the guide, it's one thing. And then on the screen, it's another, why, why are you spoiling why the game is a hardwood classic? So there was a jazz rockets game on the other night and it said, John Stockton cl- comes up clutch in the win. <laughs> like, and, and they all do. And they all give it, they all yes, give the yes, game yes. away. Like, I trust that if it's labeled a hardwood classic and it's on NBA TV or on ESPN, I trust that there's a great performance. It's a great game. It's there for a reason. Don't give it away. And yeah, sure. We could all look it it up. Let me discover it. We could all, we, we could all look it up as to like why this is a great game or you could just sit there and watch it because you know, I forget games from the nineties and I'm sure there's an entire generation of people who forget all sorts of games. So just, Put it on. Leave it up there. I trust that. I trust that it is there for some killer reason. That is incredible, and it's so funny to think about that too. <laughs> right, like sports is the thing that when it's because... live, when it's live, you avoid all spoilers if you're trying, which is tough to do these days. But you're trying, like you know, back in the day, like oh, I taped the game. I taped the game. Don't like I don't want to look at anything as I'm walking through the airport. Like maybe if you didn't even have a cell phone yet. Now it's so hard to avoid that stuff. So from these old games, especially now, like why are you spoiling the game? With a graphic that is up the entire game, it never goes away. It's like a score bug. That's so amazing. I just think it's so funny that as you put it into context like that, when you say it's already on NBA TV, it's already on a hardwood classics. Like just the idea that it's not some random, uh, you know, Bucks Nets game from '98 oh, that just nothing happened, just a run of the mill random so game. Dumb. There's obviously a reason you're showing me this. Let me so discover dumb. it. That's like there should be a, there should be like a site that you go to, or you could just look it up on your own. Like that says mm-hmm. why this game is a hardwood classic. Like if you want to take that step and spoil it for yourself. Anyway, yeah. So with yeah. so with that being said, what are the games? Is there is there a certain game that you want to rewatch on Hardwood Classics? All right, one game that's talked about a lot, and I have not seen. We reference it all the time in general as NBA fans, but I haven't seen it in so long. And that is Lakers and Kings in LA, Game Six, two thousand and two. So. I haven't seen it in a long time. Lakers shot 40 free throws. We remember we, we talk about the officiating and just how ridiculous it was. Of course, I remember watching that game live and, and thinking about how insane that was. At the time, I was pulling for the Kings. I'm fascinated now. And, and maybe there's part of it that's, that's the Kobe aura that I, that I want to see from that game. But just, just how the officiating was and everything when you think about now with the Donaghy scandal and all, 
I just want to go back and watch that game in, in full. And I have never done it. And it's weird because I'm sure I can pull it up on YouTube right now. But just mm-hmm. that's the thing with hardwood classics that like they draw you into a game that you wouldn't have sought out maybe on your own. So it's one of those things I always think about. Oh, I want to watch this. I want to watch this. And I haven't gotten around to it. So if it just showed up, I think that I'd be much more apt to watch it. So that's my first. And then and then the second one is and I had to look up the date of this game. So November 9th, 1984, Sixers at Celtics. Um, Moses Malone playing in that game. That, that Sixers at the time had had Julius Irving. Uh, Mark Ivoroni, who, of course, was the high school teammate of Seth Greenberg, our uh, guest on, on this week's Going ISO. Um, but Dr. J and Larry Bird, it's their fight game. And so I want to see the context of that fight, what led to it. I've seen the clip so many times, but what brought that on? I've heard them talk about that game. I've never watched it in full. So that game between Sixers and Celtics, although I know NBA probably isn't glorifying great fights of all time. So I don't, and I don't know if that game is on YouTube. We'll have to check, but that's another one that I would love to see on Hardwood Classics. What about, what, what do you think of those two? And then, and then what are you, what, what, what's your game? Yeah, I like those. And I, and I, I do appreciate trying to find the the context around the games. And then as you get older and you start to hear more stories, then you watch the game through a completely different lens. Also, mm. I mean, especially the Donaghy, especially the Donaghy stuff, but you can see, you know, maybe you've heard about these two guys didn't like each other or that this guy wasn't as clutch as everybody out makes him out to be these days. Right. So as, as growing up a Sixers fan, I go back and, yeah, you know, I want to watch. I want to watch a bunch of games from the 2001 playoff run. And before the mm-hmm. season started, when we did our tomorrow's headlines today, I said that yep. this season would be the first season since 01 that we would not have a 60 win team. And at this point, I might end up being correct. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give you that one. I might end up being oh, correct. So that year, I mean, as dominant as the Lakers were during the during the playoffs that year, they were not a 60-win team. But they had won, going into game one of the finals, they had won 19 straight. And yep. game one, 01 Sixers was the game that, that they lost in the playoffs. But I went back and even just looked at the Sixers run. And there were a bunch of games that I'd like to see again. I'd like to watch... Game seven against Milwaukee in the conference semifinals. I'd like to watch game seven in the second round against, or in the conference finals. I'd like to watch game seven again. Sixers, Raptors, the Vince Carter, Allen Iverson just, I mean, those two were Vince Carter graduation game. Right, but those two were so bad. They were so bad in that game seven. And I'd also, game one, which I had forgotten about because of the Sixers run, game one against the Pacers. So I want to run through a few things from just that playoff run. So, So 2001 Iverson was a just a true MVP, no doubt. And he was the, the just a true MVP. Yes. And yes. MVP of the regular season, MVP of a great all-star game in DC. So one eight series against Indiana. Sixers are down or the Sixers are up 18 in the third quarter. And the Sixers had lost to the Pacers the previous two years in the playoffs. Pacers had knocked the Sixers out. Reggie Miller ends up hitting a game winning three with 2.9 to go to win it 79-78, which is ugly. But as I went back and I watched some of that game, 
I watched the fourth quarter this morning. Bill yeah. Walton, it was Walton and, and Breen calling the game. Walton <laughs> yes. stepping all over Mike Breen. Oh. Like like he was wearing size 22 shoes and Mike Breen <laughs> was an ant. Just stepping all over him. Like well, he, saying what? He, like just interrupting the play-by-play. He almost he almost stepped on him for the bang on the Reggie Miller. It was <laughs> honestly, if I was Breen, I would have elbowed him in the face. And then in the semis against Toronto, game two, AI went for 54. Game three, Vince went for 50. Game five, AI went for 52. And then game seven, it was Aaron McKee and Jermaine Jones that won it for the Sixers. And in game seven, AI was eight for 27. He had 21 points, but he finished, but he had 16 assists also. You want to talk about conspiracies then in the finals, Eastern Conference finals against Milwaukee, the game seven conspiracy is, is one of the all timers. I mean, the series itself, but the game seven conspiracy with Scott Williams, who was the Bucks leading big man at the time, believe it or not. Yeah. He got suspended for game seven, which I've talked to Terry Stotts about it since he was an assistant on that team. He's, Still has not gotten a real answer about it. And George Carl and Ray Allen got heavy fines. In that yes. series, the technical fouls were 12-3. And flagrants were 5-0. But 12-3? 12-3. Bucks had 12 tech. Sixers had three. Flagrants, five for the Bucks, none for the Sixers. And then it was game six, the Ray Allen game. Game six, he had nine threes in that series to force... <laughs> to force the game seven and that's back in 2001 that's the ray allen that this that i guess the generation behind us needs to right go see they need to see that ray allen not the stand in the corner ray allen they need to see that ray allen like the ray allen getting to the hoop hitting nine threes but also beating your baseline and throwing it in your face and then in the finals so i looked up some of the rating stuff so finals game one ratings were a 20% increase over the year before, which fed into, that was Pacers, Lakers. That that fed into the conspiracy theory from the Bucks that, well, look, the, the NBA wanted it. They didn't want the small market. They wanted the Sixers in it, the MVP. Ratings were down before the finals across the board, down 15% from, from the year before. So this is still all of this post-Jordan stuff. And the regular wow. season was down 12% on NBC from the year before. All this post-Jordan stuff. So game one, of course, we all remember the Iverson 48, the overtime win, the only loss for the Lakers in that in the playoffs. But Iverson went 18 for 41 in that game. He shot 41 times. 41. And the rest, and the rest of the team was 22 for 42. And game <laughs> two, what I, what I do think gets lost is game two was close. And so was game three. Right. That the Sixers both lost, but games two and three were still really close. And then game four and game five are no contest. But I but I would go back and watch game one and you know and read even read read a little bit of the hype before those games too, which would make it a lot of fun. Yeah, that's that playoff run was was something else. Just this idea that the Lakers had one of the most well arguably the most dominant playoff run of any team ever. I mean, I've always said they lost one game in the playoffs and it was in, in overtime, nothing, nothing in regulation. 
And but because games two and three, as you point out, were close, Sixers fans remember that time fondly as wow, you know, Sixers had a chance in that series. I mean, that's how people, Sixers fans recall it in you know somewhat revisionist history but at the time it felt like that right like that there was this David versus Goliath and that the Sixers had this this chance against against the Lakers it was also interesting to think about back during that time the way that Kobe and Iverson were viewed and how history has viewed them as as players at the time Iverson's the MVP Kobe still coming up just establishing himself hadn't won it on his own and so it's interesting also to think about uh, the difference with the with the two of them and how and how they were viewed, but all in all, Noah, that is an that's an awesome run. Just to go back and watch some of those games, the game sevens and and Vince Carter's graduation, and putting that in context was was something wild. Right, a, l- a little bit less climatic than the Donna Martin graduates in Beverly Hills down at two one zero. As we record <laughs> this, seven. speaking speaking of classic games, Mark Berman, New York Post covers the Knicks. MSG Network starting to ramp up replaying notable games this season. Mm. <laughs> of the Knicks? From this season? Today's menu has three oh, standout like games. Season. Yeah, this season. Today's, today's menu has three standout games by center Mitchell Robinson in wins over Chicago, Portland, Detroit. Starts at 2 p.m. I, I, I would Wait, love to get say, the rating on that. This did you season. say starts to ramp up? Yeah, starting to ramp up. Starting to ramp up all as though they're going to continue to play classic games from this season as time goes on. An onion headline? <laughs> it's got to be. What? I mean, while we do I this, I just re- I just retweeted it with onion. Like what? Stop the madness. All right, Open Gym, we usually give you what we're most looking forward to. So, um, oh, you know what? I thought about you the other day. I saw, because we usually do the NBA draft prospect sure. matchup to watch. And someone on Twitter, I, I don't know who it was. It just ended up in my feed. Something about, I guess someone was putting together like Pac-10, Pac-12, all-time teams, all-time fives, whatever it was. And someone put out the Oregon all-time five. And... I was, I, and I immediately hit on it to go to the to comments to see someone write, no, Sabrina UNESCO. And I was, <laughs> I was dying. I would, because I know we both get a chuckle out of like when someone says, like, oh, he's the first player to do this since, and it's like, no, oh, first male player, or like, right, right, first, right, right. You know, and it happens in tennis all the time. Like, all right, enough. And I, but I, I didn't see it. They, they, no one wrote that. And I thought there was oh, a one that giant is interesting step for humanity. That is interesting. We just, we, I mean, ESPN just put out their their list of the greatest college basketball player bracket of all time, and I have to say, like, I, I was really curious to see who they would pick as the as the group, and I thought it was a disservice to the women's game because they included women's players in the in the grouping who deserve oh, really? to be there. Yeah, and 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 the disappointing part was I would have loved to see who they chose as their sixty-four players that were just from the men's game. Why not do two brackets? Here are the best sixty-four women's players of all time. Here are the sixty-four men's players, and then as you go down the list, I, I was disheartened. I mean, Pistol Pete was like a thirteen seed. Um, it's a lot of these lists just cater to 
modern audiences and stuff. And maybe some of it too. They mix it up to troll a little bit. So people will be talking about it. So you don't just li- look at the listing. Oh yeah, I guess that makes sense. I mean, you know, if you put on Kevin Durant, how do you not put on Greg Oden for that, for that single season? There's stuff like yeah, sure, that, which sure. I remember, uh, uh, I remember Kenny Chris Anderson's Brickley. left off. Yeah, Chris sure. Brickley, I remember yeah. Chris, I remember Chris Brickley, the, the trainer wrote it did, like was asked to do like his top 25 college players for slam magazine. So, like, I think it was some point last year mm-hmm. and he didn't have, and he had mellow on he had Katie on. He did. He didn't have, I, I'm fairly certain he did not have Christian Leitner on the list. And like <laughs> Christian Leitner, I'm, I think it, I'm, I'm fairly certain it was Leitner. Like Leitner, Leitner is a top five college basketball player of all time. There's yeah, his accomplishments are limitless. Yeah, he has yeah. every record for the NCAA tournament because he played so many. NCAA and he and he was, but he wasn't on his he wasn't on his top twenty five. But he had, you know, some guys with like good NBA. I don't. It was it was embarrassing. It was embarrassing. That's what happens. That's what happens. Did you watch? Um, well, of course you didn't. You've got a circus in town. The Leitner, the Duke Kentucky game was on the other night. I didn't, but it's funny you should say that because my friend Shree uh, reached out to me and that is was watching it. Yep, Shree Raman, and and uh, I anointed him with the nickname. That's what Shree said, which he then turned into a uh, a blog t-shirt. of his of his own. Uh, yeah, he should have a t shirt that that says that. Uh, but loves loves uh, the history of the game, like like we do. And he was texting me about, about that game. And he was talking to me and I said, you know, it's interesting about how history would have remembered Sean Woods because Sean Woods hits the bank shot before, tough before shot. the oh, full court. Oh, it's incredible. And it would be such an iconic shot. And we still recall it. I mean, how many shots do you still recall that are the shot before the shot? Very rare that you think about what a that shot for iconic moments. But uh, yeah, so it's, it, it would have been interesting and uh, how history would have remembered Sean Woods. What, what was your recollection? I mean, what well, was your uh, thoughts uh, while watching the game? Well, I mean, I just remember exactly where I was. I was watching my mm-hmm. buddy John Fox's house. I was there two nights before at the Sweet 16 at the Spectrum for Duke Seton Hall, and that was Danny Hurley against Bobby Hurley. Yes. And Kentucky UMass with Lou Rowe playing for uh, UMass. One of my all-time favorite college players, yep. Yeah, so... We went, so my dad and I went, I think that night and my buddy Ben and his dad, Bob went the, went two nights later and we're, and we're there. We're under, I think they were, they were behind the late, they're behind the basket, behind the Leitner basket for that. That's so amazing. I just, I remember, I remember exactly where I was when I watched the, the Duke Kentucky game, but being there two nights before was, was, was thrilling also. Oh, that is, that's pretty cool. That's a pretty yeah. cool memory. Yeah. All right. So this week you might be looking forward to a child <laughs> yeah maybe next week on the podcast i'll be doing this podcast from <laughs> from the hospital i'll bring my podcast to nbd no big no big deal no big deal that's what we do it'll go over well yeah, i put, I put, I put together that kitchen for eden once no big deal you're you know you're having a child in, in the middle of a uh global crisis yeah no big deal sure it's what we do it's what we do no big deal. all right so you're at naismith lives on twitter I'm at Noah Kozlov, C-O-S-L-O-V. Make sure you're checking out everything else going on in the podcast network because pods are still going out. I've got a backlog of pods. I'll 
download. I'll listen at some point. All sorts of great ideas going on on Locked On NBA and Locked On Fantasy Hoops with Josh Lloyd. Hollinger and Duncan, they started today. I didn't I didn't listen yet. Obviously, it, it, we're recording this on Monday afternoon. Like the worst teams of all time bracket. That's hmm. a heavy lift. That does. I'd say that's quite uplifting for the time <laughs> that we're living through. I'm not saying everything's got to be all roses, but... They're the right men for the job, though. I will say that. That's, They're the right yeah, men that, for that, the job. That, that is for sure. So you can go back and you can listen to all those. And also, of course, your team every day. That's what the Locked On Podcast Network is all about. Adam, thanks, pal. You are the best. <laughs>